Tonight is our second uh, ministry principle. So, so Sam already taught our first ministry principle, which is we are a house of prayer. And then tonight we're covering uh, Midtown Baptist Temple's second ministry principle. Now these ministry principles are principles distilled out of God's word to help enable us to, to, to do the mission that God's given us. And so... Um, the second ministry principle is this. As a church, we are always making disciples. Now, now, what does that mean? All right, well, what that means is that all of our activities, in some way, one way or another, is, is a part of making disciples. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. In 1962, President John F. Kennedy visited NASA for the first time. During his tour of the facility, he met a janitor who was carrying a broom down the hallway. The president then casually asked the janitor, what do you do for NASA? So he asked the guy with the broom, like, what do you, anyway. The janitor replied, I'm helping put a man on the moon. How cool is that? The, the janitor knew he wasn't just cleaning the floor. He was actually a part of the mission that NASA had to put a man on the moon. And, and that's the kind of mentality that we need to understand. Every Saturday morning, if you come into this building, you're going to find a group of people cleaning the church. Ask them, what are they doing? They should say, well, I'm preparing the building for the worship service. I, I'm preparing this place to be conducive for disciple making that's gonna to happen tomorrow. It's a part of the mission. It's not just some activity. Now for this to be a reality, then what needs to happen is all of our ministries and ministers actually have to be doing something that in one way or another really does lead to making disciples. Like, you can't just answer on making disciples if you're doing something that isn't actually making disciples. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that here in a little bit. But, but first, um, just getting started, key point number one is that all of our ministries and ministers should be able to fill in the blank. I am making disciples by, and then that's your blank. How is it that what you are doing as a ministry or as a minister is a part of making disciples? If you can't do that, then you probably need to stop doing what you're doing and find something that is a part of making disciples. Make sense? Okay, so the example is I'm making disciples by bringing visitors and members to our services. That's the guy driving the shuttle a part of making disciples. Does that make sense? All right. So, so what I want to do is I want to get into the Word together a little bit to reinforce this ministry principle for us. And so turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. So what do we find in Matthew 28, 18 through 20? Somebody. The Great Commission. I'm glad you know that. 
Because as of 2017, according to Barna, 51% of those who attend church do not know what the Great Commission is. 25% of, of people, now these aren't just people out on the streets, these are people who, who go to church, okay? 25% have heard of the Great Commission, but they, they couldn't tell you what it is. And then 6%, they don't know if they've heard of it or not, which means, no, they haven't heard of it. 17% said, yes, they know the Great Commission, they know what it is. So that's, that's people that, that go to church. Isn't that amazing? People in churches don't even know what the Great Commission is. Now, I think if we're always making disciples, we probably need to understand why. We need to understand the Great Commission. And so let's read it together, verses 18 through 20. Then we'll look at some things. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And so, I want to start with this word, therefore. You guys see that word? Go ye therefore. Now, therefore, you're familiar with that. Therefore means what I'm about to say is based on what I just said. Okay? What I'm about to say is, is based on what I just said. And so Descartes was a famous philosopher who said, I think, therefore I am. Okay, so because I think, I must exist. I think, therefore I am. So I wanted to be a great philosopher. So Christine, she said, you think you're funny. I said, I think, therefore I am. <laughs> you can use therefore. Next time someone calls you a nobody, says, hey, you're a nobody, you can say, well, nobody's perfect. Therefore, I'm perfect. All right, we should probably focus on what Jesus said. Okay, so, so, so Jesus uses therefore. So what he's about to say in verse 19 is based on what he said in verse 18. So what he says in verse 18 is, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. Because all power is given unto Christ in heaven and earth, we're supposed to, therefore, we're supposed to go and make disciples, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And, and so, you know, it's clear from the syntax. This is key point number two. Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and cover verse 20. Okay teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Okay, so what I'm saying now here, just at the beginning, based on the clear syntax of those verses, is that the power and the presence of God, of Christ, 
were promised to his disciples to fulfill the commission he gave them. Are you guys with me so far? Do you see that? The therefore and the lo, I'm with you always. Those things indicate that Jesus is giving them a commission to make disciples based on the fact that he will be with them and that he has all authority in heaven and earth. That is amazing. We focus a lot on the Great Commission, on the going and teaching and baptizing and teaching. And, and I, you know, let's not just skim over the reality that all power in heaven and earth is given to Christ and he's with us in this mission. Because that changes everything. Because I can imagine the disciples had maybe had a bad week or two. Maybe they were going through it. Maybe they were about to go through some hard things in their life. We know they were, because we have the rest of the book. But if Christ's power is at work in, in their activities, if his presence is with them, not his bodily presence, we know he's about to ascend, but his pres presence with them spiritually, is that not enough? That can get the disciples of Christ through the hard times to come. Why? Because his power is at work. He's with them. Nothing's going to happen that he doesn't cause or allow. Nothing's going to happen that can, that can stand against the church, against the work that God's given them. What a great thing. But, but let's, let's, let's look at the difference here between commission and mission, because I don't want us to be confused. It's called the Great Commission, not the Great Mission, right? What's the difference? Anybody? Okay, we'll cover it. The, a commission, okay, we'll start with a mission. A mission is a this is from uh, the Webster's Dictionary. Okay, so the Great Commission isn't a biblical term. Like a guy came up with it, so I don't feel bad about going to the dictionary to, to get the definition especially because we're going to see it plays out scripturally. But here's, here's the thing, the mission. A specific task with which a person or a group is charged, that would be a good definition for a mission, or a, a pre-established and often self-imposed objective or purpose. Yeah, that's probably how we would typically use the word mission. Like, hey, I've got this mission to accomplish. Or a definite military, naval, or aerospace mission. So what's your current mission? Oh, we're trying to put a, a vessel on Mars or something. You know, that's the mission. Okay, that's different from a co-mission. A co-mission is a formal written warrant granting the power to perform various acts or duties. A certificate conferring military rank and authority. Or the rank and authority so conferred. So you could say... I. You're a commissioned officer in the army, and you, you've been commissioned as a, whatever, a lieutenant, and you have the authority and the responsibility now that goes with that commission. Make sense? So here's the main difference on the next slide. A mission includes an activity or a task. It includes something to do. A commission includes, it, it's the mission, but it also includes authorization. So with the commission comes the power or the authority required to fulfill that thing. So that's actually a really big difference. 
There's a lot of churches, probably the 51% of churches, I don't know, that, that are doing something that is a mission, but it's not the Great Commission, right? There's a lot of good things that a church can do, but if it's not the co-mission, you have to ask yourself, am I doing it with the authority that God gave to the church? That's what's in question here. That's one of the things that we're looking at. So we want to have a co-mission and not just a, a, a mission. So what is the co-mission? We would, looking at these verses, we would just say that the commission is to make disciples. It includes lots of stuff. It includes going. It includes teaching. That's like uh, evangelism. It includes baptizing. Traditionally, historically, baptism was how you joined the church. Okay, so it is an act of obedience. It is a picture, a physical picture of a spiritual reality. It was also this public identification where I'm no longer part of that group, now I'm part of this group, and that's historically how you, how you would join the church. And then there's the, the next teaching, the teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and that would be like, like discipleship, teaching people what the Bible says and, and how to live that out. Now, there's a lot of activities that go into that. There's a lot of activities that, that are involved with going. You can come check out our missions team and see all the different things that are involved with getting different people all over the world. Okay, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot that goes into building relationships. We have different types of outreach so we can build relationships with people, so we can show them the love of Christ. So there's a lot that goes into going, teaching, baptizing, and teaching. But that is the, that is the commission given here very clearly in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Okay, so the question is, let us see, do we as the church, so the disciples got the commission, didn't they? I mean, it's just like, Right there, you can't miss it. The question is, did the church have a commission? Can we claim that presence of Christ? Can we claim the power of Christ as we endeavor to make disciples? Or are the hyper-dispensationalists right? And Acts 28, 18 through 20 doesn't apply to the church. Like, like can, that's what we want to figure out this, this evening. And so I want to look at a couple of these things. And the first one is this word, always. You guys have always in your Bible? Is that what it says in verse 20? There's a difference between always and always. Okay? Always just means always. It's how we typically use this word. On every occasion. Every time, not sometimes, but every time, always. That's, that's how we would use this word. But always is a different word. It means a duration of time. It means continuously from beginning to end. And it has a different meaning. It's a subtle difference, but it means something different than always. We can see that in Exodus chapter 25, verse 30. Talking about the, the showbread, that's the first time that this this is used. You can see it on the screen. And thou shalt set up the table, of, uh, upon the table, showbread before me always. 
Hmm, always. Not always, always. And then in Numbers, we get some clarification. And upon the table of showbread, they shall spread a cloth of blue and put thereon the dishes and the spoons and the bowls and covers to cover withal, and the continual bread shall be thereon. So, so instead of saying the showbread, they called it the continual bread. The bread the, that's always, sounds weird to say that, always to be in place. There's another one related to this first mention, Exodus 25, 30, and then Second Chronicles. Let's go to the next slide. Behold, I, I build an house to the name of the Lord my God to dedicate it to him, to burn before him sweet incense and for the continual showbread. There it is again. And for the burnt offerings morning and evening on the Sabbath and on the new moons and on the solemn feasts of the Lord our God. This is an ordinance forever to Israel. So as long as this temple is being established and the temple worship is in place, from the beginning of the thing all the way till the end, that showbread is to be portrayed on the, on the table the whole time, continuously. Does that make sense? Okay, so the reason I point this out is because Jesus says, I, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So, that means from the beginning of when Christ is talking and until the end of the world, he promises to be with those who are making disciples. So the question is, when is the end of the world? Because we know Christ is going to be there through that whole time. All right, so let's look at that. What's he mean when he says, unto the end of the world? Well, it gets a little complicated because there's multiple worlds. Did you know that? Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed the heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, plural, Okay, so there's more than one world. The worlds, okay, have more than one end. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Paul says to the church, Now all these things happened unto them, talking about the nation of Israel, for in samples. And they are written for our admonition, church, upon whom the ends, plural, of the world are come. Okay, so it's a little complicated. There's multiple worlds. There's multiple ends. So what are the ones that Jesus is talking about in Matthew? Okay, so first of all, understand this. The world, in this sense, is speaking of an age or a duration of time, an eon. So in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, we caught a, a glimpse of that. We can also see it in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. Speaking of Christ and how Christ was the perfect sacrifice who died once. He didn't have to die repeatedly like the sheep and all that. We read this. For then must he often have suffered since the beginning of the world. Okay, that's not the case. But now, once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. When Jesus appeared, it started this 
world, this era, this time frame, which was the end. So we know that the time in which we're, you know, of Hebrews here, it began when Christ came with his physical birth the first time. Now we know also from 1 Corinthians 10, 11, we just read that. Okay, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So it includes, okay, the time when Christ was born were also included in this world that hasn't ended yet. Also is included the church age in that. Okay, but when, when does it actually end? Okay, well, let's go to Matthew chapter 13. Turn back a few chapters here to Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, we've got all these parables that Jesus is speaking. In, in, in verses 39 and 40, Jesus is explaining to his disciples what he meant with one of the parables. So, so maybe we could start in, in verse 36 and you can see that Jesus is answering them, describing to them what he meant with the parable of the tares in the field. So that's someone sowed weeds in the field. So we got some weeds in the church, right? Got some weeds in here, why? Because the enemy sowed some bad seed in with the good seed. So what do you do? I'll just wait till the end. Okay, just let them all grow. It'll get sorted out. Here, here's in verse 37. Jesus answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. Okay, now here's why we're looking at this, because this next phrase the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered together and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. That end of the world phrase is the same phrase used a few chapters later in this book of Matthew. Okay, we see the same thing down in verse 49. Another another parable. Let's start in verse 47. We're looking for that phrase, the end of the world. That's what we're trying to figure out from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So let's, let's read Matthew 13, 47 through 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew it to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angel shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Wow, that's pretty bad. Okay, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. We're looking for the phrase, the end of the world. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end 
of the world. And Jesus begins now to describe to them what the end of the world will be like. So let's just look at a few verses. Verse 6, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And we go through lots of these different signs that we know will happen. Verse 11 says, and, and many false prophets shall arrive and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure until the end, there it is, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached unto all the world for a witness to all nations, and then shall come the end. All right, so, so there it is. We need to figure out what that verse is talking about. Then we'll know when the end comes. You guys with me so far? You're having to pay attention. It's probably been a long day. Okay, we're almost there. Turn to Revelation 14. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 to get our context of Revelation 14. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And as they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Okay, so what time frame is this that we're, we're seeing in Revelation 14? Is it the church age? Is it the tribulation? Is it the millennium? Is it eternity future? What is it? Tribulation. That's right. I'm assuming that's what you said. I couldn't hear anything. All right, look at verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. Now look at this. To every nation and kindred and tongue and people. That is the fulfillment of Matthew chapter 24. Then comes the end after this event right here during the tribulation. So if that's true, then there ought to be an angel with his sickle that harvests the earth to separate out the wheat from the tares. Well, look at, look at 14, verses 14 through 16. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came from the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And you can go ahead and read about that being the harvest time. Okay, so back to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Everything, if we're going to look at this contextually, comparing Scripture with Scripture, when Jesus says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world, then that's talking about a time frame that includes both the church age and the tribulation until 
the time for evangelizing and baptizing and making disciples generationally, training leaders to reproduce the same thing over and over again with the promise that God is, that Christ is with us and his power has been appropriated to us, that the time for that has an end, but it's not during the tribulation. Are there going to be salvations? Are there going to be those that endure to the end? Will, be, will there be discipleship? Are the 144,000 going to go out and have a revival during the tribulation? Yes. Okay, so they need the power of Christ during the church age. Is God with us? Paul prayed for the Ephesians like, man, I wish God would open your eyes to see the power that you have, the power that rose Christ from the dead, which now worketh in you, church, to be the ones that are going forth to fulfill the mission. So here's, here's the thing. Key point number three, the world Jesus refers to in Matthew 28, 20 is a time frame that includes the church age and the tribulation. Now that makes sense because we were supposed to be making disciples during the church age. There's going to be the same sort of discipleship teaching and things during the tribulation. Okay, so because the commission is to make disciples... Why do anything else? If we know that if we are fulfilling the mission that God gave us, and in doing so, we have his presence, and in doing so, we have his power, why would we do anything else? And this is, let me just circle back to the thing I said earlier. We, we want to make sure that all of our ministries and ministers are in some way a part of making disciples. Okay, here's the other part. We don't want to be doing a bunch of other stuff. There's a whole lot of good works. Okay, and we should do good things. But I want to do the things that have been, that, that I've received a commission to do. Because the other good things may be good, but I don't know that I have the power of God at work in them. And I don't know that I have the presence of God. I don't know that I have fellowship with Christ in just doing some good thing that's a mission because I can make up my own mission. Does this make sense? Okay, so church, there's going to be times where <clears throat> you need the power of God. There's going to be times when you're weak. There's going to be times when you really need the presence of Christ in your life because you know what? It doesn't always go smoothly and it's not always easy and life is messy and, and relationships are messy. But if God is with us and we have the power of God, that just fixes everything. Maybe you're mad at the person next to you. Yeah, but if Christ is here, does that matter anymore? No, it doesn't. And the ministry sometime is hard, but if Christ is with us in it, does that matter anymore? Well, I, I guess not. Okay, so what we need to do is just pray. We need to, we need to pray. Let's bring up the, our prayer points here. Pray that we would recognize our commission, that we have a commission and not just a mission, okay? Because we can make disciples if we have the power and the presence of Christ. Amen? 
except the Lord build the house, you labor in vain. But the, but the Lord is building the house if we join him in his commission. Okay, pray that our ministries would be part of the commission practically and philosophically. Okay, so our ministry leaders need to understand this and it needs to, to be communicated. God is with us, God is for us. Let's just go make disciples. And then, and then the last one, let's, let's pray against mission creep. Let's pray against getting so busy with good things that we're not doing the one thing that God has given us to do. And here's what you're going to find. If you're not already active in ministry, here's what you're going to find. It pretty much takes all you've got to make disciples. Like by the time you're done brushing your teeth and making disciples, you're, you're kind of just done. Like there's not that much energy left, okay? So if we can stay focused, we stay under the shadow of his wing. You see that? We stay empowered. We stay in fellowship. So let's do this. Let's pray. And then, and then let's pray along the lines of these uh, prayer points. And then, Brian, are you going to be able to close us out and then at the end? So.